reading this morning is from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 16 to 30. It's on page 1030 of your pew Bible, if you'd like to take that uh, from the pew rack in front of you. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly plainly, that what he has done has been done through God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Selim, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the incredible promise of these verses, that your love to us is shown through the giving of your Son, and that whoever believes in Jesus will not die but have life eternally. And Lord, we just pray that you will give us that belief, strengthen that belief, allow us to live in confidence in the the love and the, the plan that you have for us. We pray for Pastor Mark as he comes now to um, share your word with us, and we just ask that you um, give us attentive hearts and minds and ears to hear and to understand. Just bless this time, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Kate. 
I do encourage you to keep your Bibles open before you as we move through the message this morning. We'll be in the scripture quite a bit, and uh, I'll be using the English Standard Version, but uh, I think the, the translation will be easily accessible. So I've got my phone up here, and now I've got a spam call. That's these times we live in. We're looking these days at persevering by faith. Sorry. At persevering by faith and hope in Christ Jesus as true biblical Christian disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm making a distinction there between people who confess Christ and people who are disciples of Christ. Uh, And we'll talk about this in a little bit uh, further on. But I just want us to make sure up front that we understand that uh, distinction. Uh, Because as we'll see and hear, there are many more people and churches who confess Christ than who actually follow Christ in obedience. And we don't want to be those people. We want to be the kind of people who follow Jesus wherever he goes, doing whatever he calls us to do. um, And taking his promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Now, I hope that we're keeping in mind that this is persevering by faith and hope in Christ Jesus. We're talking about true biblical Christian discipleship in Christ. Uh, As we read every text these last three weeks and as we've processed every message in this series, and none of these really are one-offs. They're they're all uh, uh, part of the same puzzle. Persevering means just that, standing on the truth in the midst of unbelief, not letting go of our faith or of Jesus or of each other, especially when it's hard and costly and would be far less costly or hard to do something else. Persevering means believing when it's far easier to not believe. And persevering is, at the same time, doing whatever is good, right, and true, especially when evil, wrong, and false threaten to overtake us. And while we will have to exert some fortitude, some courage, some effort, some decisiveness as biblical Christian disciples of Jesus Christ, we don't merely do our best to hold on in our own strength by our own will, or by our own wit, or cleverness, or intellect. We need Jesus. So, if we persevere, we do so if we are biblical Christian disciples of Jesus Christ, by faith and hope in him. While there there will always be something for us to do, We persevere, if we persevere, by faith and hope in Jesus Christ, because he has overcome already. He truly is our only hope, both in this life and the next. Now, we started in the book of Romans, and we'll return there, I hope, to finish that up at some point in chapter 8. Then Pastor Uri moved us into the book of Philippians for a couple of Sundays, where we looked at what it means to be of one mind and at peace with the God of peace, and with each other because we, we are both related or we are all related to the God of peace. Uh, 
And now we've been in the Gospel of John for two Sundays, and this being the third of four Sundays. And all these texts and all these messages have been speaking to what it means, what it takes, what it looks like to persevere, to not fall away, to not give up, to not be defeated, to not become hypocrites, saying one thing yet living in another way. And doing so by faith and hope in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So we looked at the importance of hearing Jesus, not just listening to Jesus as uh, disinterested bystanders on the periphery, but to hearing him. And not just for a one-time event or experience such as salvation, but for a lifetime of relationship, growth, and discipleship. And we saw this in Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus in John 3. And what Jesus said to Nicodemus historically, he also says to us by the Holy Spirit. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or that could be translated from above, it's ambiguous, you could, either one is, is acceptable and you see either one in the various translations. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or it, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus went on in just a couple of verses later saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And we, we talked at some length about what does this mean, born of water and the Spirit? And my own personal view is that this is speaking of the water that, that issues from the womb before someone is born and then, and then a baby is born. So in that sense, being born of water, of the common things of, of the flesh, we're what, 70 or 80 percent water, I think. Uh, and Jesus is acknowledging this, I think. Some say that this is the water of baptism. I don't believe that's, that's correct. And if we look at the contrast that Jesus continues to make, for example, from above and of water, of the spirit and of water, it makes perfect sense, the natural and the spiritual, I think. So truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, and he says to us, unless one is born of water, I believe this means naturally, which, of course, every human being has been, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then finally, in this encounter with Nicodemus, near the end of the encounter, it seems, probably because Nicodemus uh, exits the stage after this, that, that whoever believes in him, that is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, may have eternal life. This is the whole point for the Son coming. But as it was for Nicodemus, we need to move beyond hearing Jesus at some point to believing Jesus at some point. Who he is, what he said, and what he's done, as well as what he's doing and what he will do in our lives and in the ministry of his church according to the scriptures. And what are we to hear and also believe? Well, to begin with, We are to believe the work of God in Christ Jesus to save the world because of his great love for the world. And so we spent quite a bit of time on the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, and its corollary, verse 17, for in this way God loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for... God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
So last Sunday, we also saw that the world here is not a euphemism for all humanity, as it is most often preached. Rather, the world means the world, the, the universe, the creation. To hear and believe properly, we also need to hear accurately, and the world is much bigger than us, much bigger than the whole human race even. It's big. We are unique in it. We are part of it, but we are not the whole creation. Humanity is certainly included here, but the world means much more than that. The world points us beyond ourselves to God's restoration of all things in new heavens and a new earth, which is the ultimate purpose and the eternal promise of Jesus' work. For in this way God loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It also means moving beyond a traditional, albeit correct, concept of the quantity of God's great love. When we hear, for God so loved the world, our first thought is quantity. So much, so fast, so slow, we're magnifying that second word, for God so loved the world. And it is so truly great, God's love for us and God's love for the world. But we're, we, we need to move beyond that just a, a, a bit to reflect something of the biblical infinite and eternal, eternal quality of God's love. For in this way, God loved the world, and it required that he do his best and send his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to save the whole world by giving himself up for us. Now, it's not for sure, but scholars differ on this concerning the Nicodemus question. Is this a continuation of the Nicodemus conversation, or did that end at 15 and we're continuing on at 16? And it's, it's not clear, because you'll notice it seems that it's a continuing conversation, but Nicodemus is gone, so far as the narration is concerned. And so this, this may be a continuation of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, but Nicodemus exits the scene here, not to be seen or heard from again until after Jesus' crucifixion and burial in Nicodemus' tomb. These verses from John 3.16 and following may not be a continuation of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. It's just as likely John 3.16 and following is John the narrator returning to his historical narrative and making his theological comment, which he does throughout his his gospel, on Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Now, I mention this to highlight an important aspect to understanding John's gospel, which is that John's approach to what he includes in his gospel, unlike Luke, who sets out to provide us a chronologically historical account of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection, John selects his material to fulfill his theological purpose throughout the gospel, to show Jesus of Nazareth as the incarnate word and son of God, who was sent by God the Father to save the world. So we may believe, and in believing, we might have eternal life in his name. Now, obviously, none of the Gospels could say all there was to say about Jesus. And John acknowledges this near the end of his Gospel when he writes in both 
chapters 20, 20 and 21. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Verse In chapter 21 then, verse 25. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The theological point that John makes is one he made earlier in John 3.16 and following. God's desire and intention for you, indeed for all of humanity, is eternal life in and because of Jesus Christ. And I say because of Jesus Christ, meaning his holy life, his perfect ministry, his substitutionary death, and his bodily historical resurrection, that we might not be condemned, that he was condemned in our place, and we might live. And in Christ Jesus, meaning that we find both our saving grace and our ultimate purpose in him, and we will never find our saving grace or our ultimate purpose outside of him, but only in Christ. Okay, so so now I think we're ready to move on to verses 22 and following and the title and topic for today, which is the true, which is true biblical Christian discipleship, obeying Jesus. So we've moved, we've, we've heard, we've believed, we obey. And as we move in that direction, let's be reminded of the central truth, both of our message and of our series True biblical Christian discipleship is a life continuously transformed. We're not a disciple one day and not any other days. We, we are disciples throughout our entire life to be continuously transformed by God's word and spirit into the image of God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to pause here for just a moment to pray. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for your continuing grace to us, toward us, in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done on our behalf. And I pray, Lord, that as we hear and as we respond to this message this morning, that we will have life and life abundant as is your promise, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the opportunity not to be condemned, but to believe, and not to perish, but to live, and not to wander, but to be found. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin to apply God's word to our lives and ministries this morning, I'd like to encourage you in the same way that I've been encouraged this week. I received this great encouragement over WhatsApp, which is like the best thing ever, isn't it? Um, who, who uses WhatsApp? This isn't a commercial, but I, I love WhatsApp. Uh, and I got the best news ever over WhatsApp this week. 
It reads, I got this, I got this uh, WhatsApp, it says, I have tried to look up your past two services on YouTube, I can't find them. Someone told me you recommend watching it. Can you help by sending a leak, link? And of course I, I did send the leak, link, then I say thank you. And then there's, there's a, 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 a pause of several hours. Then I get this. Thank you for sending me your two messages. The second one allowed me to believe Jesus is real. Jesus is real. I've not uttered those words for years. Now to learn. I've got to get a Bible I can understand. I'm I'm just a baby, but he's got me. Whatever happens. Thank you, Pastor. My brother. I love I don't have to be perfect to believe. And I responded, and no, you don't have to be perfect to believe. In fact, none of us who believe are perfect. That's just why, well, that's why we need Jesus. I received these messages from my sister, Vonda Kay, earlier this week. And there, there are a bunch of us who have been praying for her. And I did ask for her permission to share this with you. And she said, of course. And she asked me to ask you to pray for her more maybe even more than before. She's had some real struggles of late, and she's in the midst of some stuff, including significant, I believe, spiritual attack uh, last night with nightmarish dreams and uh, you know, straight-from-hell-type dreams and an acute sense of his uh, presence. And so she's asked me to ask you to keep praying for her, and please don't stop praying for her. In fact, it may be more important now than ever. And, and one more thing, this is not about Vonda or me. This is about Jesus. Jesus did that. It's about him and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do if we'll just trust him with our lives and ministries. Okay, now, I think we're ready for chapter 3 and verse 22 and following of John's Gospel. And the first thing I want us to, to be thinking about, so, so here's a gift to you. It's not Christmas. It's not your birthday. Well, maybe anybody's birthday here, but only two points. That's it. I think that's, a, I think that's a first. I'm not sure, but I think that's a first. Just two points. Here's the first one. Baptism of believers by immersion in water is the first common biblical Christian sign of obedience that new life in Christ has come. Baptism of believers by immersion in water is the first common, and by common I mean all Christians everywhere practice this very thing, as the first step of obedience to Jesus Christ in belief. And a sign or, or the first sign of obedience that new life in Jesus Christ has come. Now, you might think or actually say, well, that's an awfully Baptist thing to say. And you would be right. It is a wonderfully Baptist thing to say, and I am a Baptist at heart. But I'm not the only one saying it. Baptists are not the only ones saying it. John the Apostle, Jesus' best friend on the planet Earth, who wrote this Gospel of John, is saying it too. Remember when I said that John chooses his material according to the theological point he wants to make? It's, it's through and through, and, and he makes that very point at the end. I just read them to you. 
that he says, these events, these words have been selected so that you might believe and in believing you might have life. So John's purpose from, from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 21, verse last, is to make the theological case that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and what do we do in response? This is the whole gospel of John. Um, well, here's, here's an example of it in John 3, verses 22 to 25. It is no coincidence or, or mistake or thoughtlessness that John writes about baptism, starring John, the most famous baptizer of them all, and Jesus, doing the same thing as the first thing following his, that is John, the apostle's majestic presentation of the gospel of, by, and for Jesus Christ from John three sixteen to 21. Look with me there to John 3, verse 22, 23, and 24. After this, well, what is the after this? We always have to look at the after this or, or the therefores. Well, after it seems, Jesus spoke these words, right? So, so this would kind of land us on the side of this is Jesus' ongoing conversation, maybe not only to Nicodemus, but maybe to a larger crowd. And we know there was a larger crowd there because it says so at the beginning. <clears throat> For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So if I just, if I just highlight this, just at, at, the, at the risk of being misunderstood here, when I asked Vonda, can I share this with the congregation? Of course! This is an example of wanting her deeds to be exposed, to be revealed in the light, to be seen in the light, right? Everything that we do following belief in Christ, we want to see it in the light. Baptism, let's do it publicly. We want to be known and seen in the light and by the light. Um, and so after this, after Jesus said this, he and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them, that is, remained there with his disciples and was baptizing. Now, this is one of those several uh, scenes in the Gospel of John that is found nowhere else in the Gospels. Nobody else has this insight. You won't find this in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Um, and so uh, it, it's important that John selects his material to make a theological point. And his point here is, people who follow John before Jesus or people who follow Jesus are baptized. And we see that in the Great Commission. Baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the nations making disciples and baptizing and teaching. So after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Enon before, uh, or near Salem 
because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Okay, so, so it gives the sense here in these few verses that Jesus is baptizing a few, and John's baptizing a lot. Do you, do you feel that? Um, now, this is near, it seems to be near the, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Um, it may have been the case, we don't know because the text doesn't say so. We're, we're speculating here, which is dangerous territory. But it may be the case that Jesus is baptizing his own disciples. Uh, of course he's baptizing his disciples, but I mean the 12. And maybe the 120 that we know followed him at some point. It may have begun here. But the interesting thing about it is Jesus was baptizing from almost the beginning, if not the beginning of his ministry, and this is the only place we find it and see that. So it seems that baptism has been an ongoing part of what it means to follow Jesus right from the beginning, including those who were baptized by Jesus before he actually went to the cross, before he was raised from the dead, before he ascended to the, to the right hand of God Almighty on high to intercede for all the saints, before the Holy Spirit was given in Pentecost. And John also was baptizing. Now, there, there has been quite a bit of academic s- speculation here. It's, it's on pretty strong grounds, I think, that John, at least John, some have suggested Jesus also, but at least John was part of a, of a, um, a sect or a community of what we might call radical believers in God, called the Essenes. And they were in where, we found, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. I wasn't there. Uh, where the Dead Sea, uh, Dead sea Scrolls were found, and the Essenes were up, high up, separated from the rest of society and uh, culture, and were, were, were doing their best to fulfill the law in their own lives and to live righteous lives to God, sort of submitting themselves and also giving themselves to God in a monastic kind of a setting. Um, and, and they had, as part of their conversion, if you will, or entry into the community, a rite of baptism. And we see that following with John the Baptist. He's very famously called John the Baptist. I I like baptizer better. So the Baptists can't claim him. They actually do. Um, I I once was a Baptist, and so I can say that. There are some theologies that actually connect their line Beyond Jesus to John the Baptist. Why you would ever want to do that, I have no idea, but there it is. So Jesus and John were baptizing, apparently, as part of their ongoing work to reach people for Christ, or for God, I should say, in repentance and faith. And I, I think we can all agree, probably, that baptism likely wouldn't be the first thing we thought of after that majestic presentation of the gospel in verses 16 to 21. I, it wouldn't have been what I was thinking of, I don't think. But we're not John, and we're not the Holy Spirit, and it would be an easy thing to miss, but not us, not today, we're not missing it. There it is, right there. And it actually has some connection with this process of becoming lesser so that he might become more. So the baptism of believers by immersion in water is the first common biblical Christian sign of obedience that new life in Christ 
has come even here in the Gospel of John early on in, verse, in chapter 3, verses 22, 24, and 25. A second thing, a, a truth, if you will, that we can take from these next verses, 26 to 30, and this is our second and final point, is this. True biblical Christian discipleship always results in Jesus becoming incrementally more and us becoming incrementally less. Now, there's a word in this that I I don't like very much, but it's very practical and it's the reality. And the word is incremental. Why can't we just make it so that Jesus becomes more and we become less? Presto, it's done. Well, that's not the way it works. That's the way the word and the spirit, that's not the way the word and the spirit work within us. We are incrementally conformed into the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. We, we don't automatically and we don't instantly, but it is incrementally with fits and starts. And sometimes we're not at all growing, it seems. And sometimes it's only internal and not external, uh, but incremental here is, is, is a, I've become convinced and convicted that this is, this is the way we grow, incrementally. And so true biblical Christian discipleship recognizes that and, but, and, know, and, and, and also acknowledges that it always results in Jesus becoming incrementally more and us becoming incrementally less. Now, just to be clear... I'm not saying, and I don't believe, that John, either John the Apostle or John the Baptizer, is saying that true biblical Christian discipleship will always result in our becoming numerically less. Although that does and will happen from time to time. On this side of eternity, there will always be more people and more churches, many more people and churches who confess Christ with our mouths, but deny him with our lives, then there will be those who truly follow after Jesus in obedience and conform our lives and ministries to him. That's just a reality. It's easier to be religious than it is to be a disciple. It's easier to go to temple or to go to church than it is to go to the cross. That's just the reality. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me daily. That being the case, according to biblical prophecy, the church and the people who do follow Jesus in obedience and who do conform our lives and ministries to his pattern will diminish in number. And and we're we're seeing it today, are we not? I've seen horrible surveys, something like, when in 1950, more than 50%, like, like something like 70% of Canadians went to church on a regular basis, is now it's like less than 20. I mean, that's, that's a demonstration of, of this point. But we don't have to diminish in vibrance of life or witness will shine even more brightly in contrast as we await the coming of the Lord Jesus to receive unto himself his bride. And the truth is, if we are true biblical Christian disciples, then we will embrace this stunning statement of John the baptizer, he, that is Christ, must increase, but I 
must decrease. And will do so, decreasing as he increases, both as individuals and a local expression, as a local expression of Jesus Christ's church, willingly, freely, joyfully, deliberately, and purposefully, asking, how can Jesus increase and I or we decrease? I think that'll be an important question over the next while. How can Jesus increase? And how can we decrease? Let's look at the text. Verse uh, 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples. Okay, so, so we've got two, two groups here. We've got G- John's disciples and Jesus' disciples. They're not in rivalry or in contention or competition with each other. John needs to share with them that, that truth, and he'll do that in just a minute. Um, uh, you'll remember that John is related to Jesus, his, his cousin, um, and, and they, they love each other. They are not in competition with each other. And John doesn't see himself as in competition. And he makes that clear in just a minute. But now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they, John's disciples and the Jew that they were in conversation with, came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. So we get this picture, while initially Jesus' baptism candidates were coming in as a trickle, and John was getting all the attention and all the baptizing was going on, Uh, night and day as we see in other places in the scripture now that's being reversed and all of them are going right past John to Jesus apparently hey John what do you think about this now from a human ambition point of view we'd probably want to think about how can we get more people coming to our place rather than that place And John doesn't have it, does he? He he won't have it. Verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So here here is John knowing his place, knowing his calling, knowing where he belongs, and, 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 and not resenting the fact that he is decreasing and Jesus is increasing. In fact, he's celebrating the fact. He's celebrating this process that's ongoing because the Christ is here. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. Get this now, John is the friend, not the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease.
True biblical Christian discipleship always results in Jesus becoming incrementally more and us becoming incrementally less. And how do we do that? How do we apply this very important instruction from Scripture, this true discipleship of Jesus Christ, that he become more and we become less? How does that happen, that increasing of Jesus and decreasing of us? It happens as we incrementally obey Jesus more, better, and more truly. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the obedience both of Jesus and of John that is reflected here in this text. Thank you for this insight that we don't get anywhere else, that Jesus was baptizing at the beginning of his ministry. And so that is part of our practice as well, and we are, we are, thank you for, we are thankful for it. Help us to, in other ways, submit ourselves to you and to your will for us, and to allow your spirit and your word to do their work in us, to conform us into the image of Christ, that he might increase and we might decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to close with the last words of First John chapter 5, which is the last chapter of the book. So it's the conclusion of his book. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word and to receive your word and to believe your word. Now, as we leave this place, may we obey your word to us. And that word may be different for each one of us, how we are to obey you, how we are to express our faith in you. But once we've heard you, once we've believed you, now we obey you. Help us, Lord, to do that. Continue to conform us into, the, into your image and to be your people truly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you next time.